0: I still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out and one dropped off But I,
1: I'm still seeking tough I'm still seeking tough love
2: Hello and welcome to another infectious episode of Seeking Tumness. The episode where, yes, let the historical record show we are emerging from the depths of coronavirus isolation to spread our wholesome, ish, fun to the unprepared, toilet paper laden masses. (laughs) My name is Laurie and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, the suspiciously hot Keith Rowe, the sanitised but insanitised brie, hello, and the iso curvaceous Patrick Moon.
3: Oh,
1: that that actually strikes deep today. After I've been doing yoga with Adrienne all afternoon, <laughs> trying to work off my iso curves, and she tells she tells you like put your hands on your hips, and I put my hands on my hips, and I'm like, holy crap, like, <laughs> there is so much more hip hips <laughs> than, than it used to be. <laughs> Where did all this hip come from?
3: You're not alone. I'm sure none of us are alone in the ISO KG front.
0: I would love to be learning ISO, but sadly not often enough.
1: <laughs> I felt Adrian's like judgmental eyes upon me all afternoon.
2: If you uh, if you hear some weird noises, that's probably just the wobbling of my many new chins. <laughs> <laughs> This episode, Keith, 15 episodes after his rousing success with the chilling, thrilling Master of Murder by Christopher Pop Crap Pike <laughs> Decides that enough time has passed for his friends to forgive his crimes and to foist another thrilling mystery upon us all I thought you found some enjoyment in Master of Murder
1: I did, Yeah. the others gave you ones <laughs> yeah, We don't need to go back to that well <laughs> I still feel guilty about it, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> Before we get into this whom's dunst it's a warning. If the spoiling of a mystery leaves you cross sore or blistery, then take a moment to decide whether you'll keep on listening as we wouldn't want you bristling as the seeking Tumnus crew reveals who died. Awesome. Ooh. That was very wonker esque. <laughs>
1: I was going to say Keith-esque and maybe there's like a merging of those two characters <laughs> in my mind. I'm pretty sure that Keith is 50% rolled out.
3: I wasn't sure whether we would be giving away the who done it or the not
0: Yeah, I guess it's tough not to But if you know, it makes reading this book much less appealing mm.
2: I think a certain level of journalistic skill is required to do a proper review without spoilers Yes, and we certainly don't have that <laughs>
1: So we'll
0: press
2: on
3: So go read the book, basically
1: We will warn you again, though, before we say the name of the killer
3: Will we? i will better write that into my synopsis Yeah In the synopsis,
1: gosh, you drop a bomb early (laughs) Without further
2: clues, let's hear a sample of page one As read by the mysterious Bree
3: No, fail
0: I think you'll find it's me (laughs) Oh, who is it? Very mysterious
3: By the delightful Keith (laughs) As read
0: by the mysterious Keith Rowe Chapter one, Ellery, Friday, August 30 If I believed in omens, this would be a bad one There's only one suitcase left on the baggage carousel. It's bright pink, covered with Hello Kitty stickers, and definitely not mine. My brother, Ezra, watches it pass us for the fourth time, leaning on the handle of his own oversized suitcase. The crowd around the carousel is nearly gone, except for a couple arguing about who was supposed to keep track of their rental car reservation. Maybe you should take it, Ezra suggests. Seems like whoever owns it wasn't on our flight, and I bet they have an interesting wardrobe, a lot of polka dots probably, and glitter. His phone chimes and he pulls it out of his pocket. Nana's outside. I can't believe this, I mutter, kicking the toe of my sneaker against the carousel's metal side. My entire life was in that suitcase. It's a slight exaggeration. My actual entire life was in La Puente, California, until about eight hours ago. Other than a few boxes shipped to Vermont last week, the suitcase contains what's left. I guess we should report it. Ezra scans the baggage claim area, running a hand over his close-cropped hair. He used to have thick, dark curls like mine hanging in his eyes, and I still can't get used to the cut he got over the summer. He tilts his suitcase and pivots towards the information desk. Over here, probably. The skinny guy behind the desk looks like he could still be in high school, with a rash of red pimples dotting his cheeks and jawline. A gold name tag pinned crookedly to his blue vest reads, Andy. Andy's thin lips twist when I tell him about my suitcase, and he cranes his neck towards the Hello Kitty bag, still making carousel laps. Flight 5624 from Los Angeles, with a layover in Charlotte. I nod. You sure that's not yours? Positive. Bummer. It'll turn up, though. you just got to fill this out. He yanks open a drawer and pulls out a form, sliding it towards me. There's a pen around here somewhere, he mutters, pouring half-heartedly through a stack of papers. I have one. I unzip the front of my backpack, pulling out a book that I place on the counter while I feel around for a pen. Ezra raises his brows when he sees the battered hardcover. Really, Ellery, he asks. You brought in cold blood on the plane? Why don't you just ship it with the rest of your books? It's valuable, I say defensively. Ezra rolls his eyes. You know that's not Truman Capote's actual signature. Sadie got fleeced. Whatever. It's the thought that counts, I mutter. Our mother bought me the signed first edition off eBay after she landed a role as dead body number two on Law and Order four years ago. She gave Ezra a Sex Pistols album cover with a Sid Vicious autograph that was probably just as forged. We should have gotten a car with reliable brakes instead, but Sadie's never been great at long-term planning. Anyway, you know what they say. When, in Murderland... I finally extract a pen and start scratching my name across the form. You heading for Echo Ridge, then? Andy asks. I pause on the second C of my last name, and he adds. They don't call it that anymore, you know. And you're early. It doesn't open for another week. I know. I didn't mean the theme park, I meant the... I trail off before saying town and shove in cold blood into my bag. Never mind, I say, returning my attention to the form. How long does it usually take to get your stuff back? That's way too much. There you go.
2: And that's chapter one (laughs) by Keith (laughs) Ryan
1: Two can keep a secret, everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It didn't really have a good cutoff point. I should have pre-read that. And had an idea about where it's going to stop
2: Jacques Youth, it was Keith Rowe And he killed us all
3: <laughs> I kind of think that you didn't do enough Like I'd quite like to get to the end of the first chapter Where they're driving along the dead road And find something
0: Yeah exactly, that's just the thing about This little part of a story like this It doesn't really tell you much at all Maybe kind of sets the tone a little bit perhaps What did you think?
3: There's a few clues in there, right? So there's Ellery who is gripping onto her book of In Cold Blood. So that kind of gives you a hint that she's into what you find out she's into, kind of that true crime stuff. You're wondering who this Sadie person is, what the relationship is there. It sounds like she is their adult, but what's the relationship? You're left kind of curious about why these twins are heading off to a new place where their parent or their adult is. What's Murderland? Is the other one that springs to mind I found that odd upon a first reading And it's still sitting there upon a second one I'm like, oh, wonder what that reference is to
0: It is a bit jarring Perhaps maybe they assume you've read the back of the book Before you
1: start on page oh. one mm. Sorry, excuse me <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not me growling <laughs> Disagree <laughs> uh, Yeah, look, those barks aren't of disagreement Stop growling <laughs> I actually I thought it was a, a reasonably good opening and I did have some issues with the story overall, but I don't think they really emerged here. I thought it was a nice, clean, crisp opening that gave us a, a little hint of who the characters are and some of the the Murderland stuff, as you said, is actually quite intriguing. What about you, Laurie?
2: Uh, I think I had a slightly different take. I, I didn't think there was anything particularly engaging for me at that point. I didn't like the use of the Hello Kitty bag.
3: Oh, I loved that little detail. I thought that was incredibly, like, well-positioned for the the readership of this particular book. I was like, ah, it's kind of, it's disjarring with Ellery and I thought that was quite good.
1: I think what Laurie is trying to say is, that, as the the proud owner of a substantial Hello Kitty collection, (laughs) he he feels it was a bit negative.
2: They were not specific enough about which Hello Kitty bag. (laughs) No, I, I began to worry that the book was going to be filled with little references like the Hello Kitty. Ah, uh, right, yeah. You know, references that would either age badly or, or great as an author trying too hard to be relevant. Hmm. And, you know, it wasn't Ooh. just the Hello Kitty bag. Suddenly they're talking about, um, you know, in cold blood. And there was something else, I think, a bit later in the book, maybe like a Metallica T-shirt or something weird like that.
1: Oh, I mean, I think you're showing your age if you think In Cold Blood and Metallica are dating a book that's in, that's in the contemporary period. Yeah, I don't
2: know. I just I worried that there's going to be too many references to seem cool, and it didn't really work out that way, which I'm glad of. But I was worried on on that page one through ten there. <laughs> <laughs> that was like basically two pages of the actual book, right? Okay. I was desperately hoping that it was going to be another Master of Murder for Keith. But there was no damning evidence to support that quite yet. <laughs> what about for you, Keith? Did it send shivers up your spine? or?
0: Yeah, look, I'm going to maybe be a little bit controversial here and I'll say this was perfectly adequate for the starting of chapter of a thriller.
1: Is it controversial to call something perfectly adequate? <laughs> I, I feel like you can't get any more beige slash vanilla than perfectly adequate.
0: Yeah, that's the point. Like, really, I don't feel you get enough from it. But you guys did point out some key stuff that was uh, indicative of the rest of the book. So it's good enough for me to keep reading.
2: Okay. Bree. fortunately, they make it out of the airport. And despite some readers wildly fingering the baggage lad as a potential suspect, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit more going on in Echo Ridge, the setting. What? Spoilers? Happens next.
3: (laughs) So as it turns out, Ellery and Ezra are teenagers who've arrived to live in Echo Ridge uh, and to stay with their grandmother while their adult recuperates from a mental health injury. So the aforementioned Sadie, we we discover throughout the story as she rings Ellery or Ellery rings her and they have a variety of different... mm, Discussions while she's recuperating in a a mental hospital. I, I tried to figure out what the best, most appropriate term would be.
2: Rehab clinic.
3: In a rehab clinic. Interestingly, as they leave the airport and drive into town, they come across a dead body sprawled across the road from what appears to be a hit run. And this really sets the scene for the mysteries that unfold in the next six to eight weeks of their arrival. Ellery begins to get set up in town and she gets a job at the nearby Murderland, which turns out to be a haunted theme park. And she starts to become friendly with her co-worker, Brooke, as well as with other kids in town. Malcolm and Mia are the names that keep coming up. She's, as we've discovered, interested in true crime. And she starts to ask questions about a number of the strange things that are happening around town. We learn about how their mother Sadie has a missing twin so somebody who disappeared 17 or so years ago and there's no real reason or understanding of why or, or where that happened. There had been a recent teenager a few years prior named Lacey who had also been found dead and local teenager Declan at the time was accused but never found guilty and we we find out later that Declan's younger brother is Malcolm Um, Malcolm becomes a potential Love interest for Ellery as well Declan and Malcolm's Mother had recently remarried Which had resulted in quite a Strange new family set up with uh, The richest man in town Peter who is the the father of The town mean girl Katrin And hence Malcolm And Declan's new stepsister Are you following me? I hope you're all taking (laughs) notes On who all of these characters are Plus, we find out that Declan is back in town. We don't know why, and he's acting quite strangely. There are acts of graffiti that keep happening at pretty inopportune times, pointing the finger of murder in one way or another. And then there's another murder, and this time it's Brooke, one of the best friends of Mean Girl Katrin and the aforementioned friendly co-worker of Ellery and Ezra from the local haunted theme park.
1: We're going to need a diagram. (laughs)
3: It's really, and no jokes, like Laurie had to write them all down on a page to try and remember them all. Basically, at some point there's just enough suspicion about every single person on that list, plus throw in the local police officer, Rodriguez, who also appears to be hiding something. So, oh gosh, I forgot one of the other things. Who is the father of the twins, Ellery and Ezra? So there's all of these little threads that lead you to the end and I had absolutely no idea, I don't know about you, gents, where it was going to end up. And I'm a little bit reluctant to talk about who done it. I feel like I did a reasonable job of saying it could have been any of them.
1: Yeah, maybe it's worth leaving there. Maybe we can skirt around this, this whole issue.
3: Hmm. Because it was certainly surprising to me, and I think that was kind of nice. Or well,
0: maybe we can disclose later on as we get into it a bit more. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Anyone anyway, that gets that far through the episode will assume has read the book.
3: <laughs> <laughs> have I missed missed any really key points, or have I kind of there? I've kind of tried to summarise all of the little threads that take you in different places.
1: Yeah, look, small town girl goes back to her mother's hometown with a history of murder. Shenanigans ensue. Yeah. yeah, you
0: get introduced to a lot of their contemporary or her, their peers as well in the peer group. The disappearance of Brooke precedes her murder, so she's missing for a few weeks before they find the body. Mm. And that's quite a large part of the suspense building, if you like.
3: Hmm. Why did you choose this one, Keith?
0: I really wanted to get some more murder mystery sort of thrillers into it. And it doesn't tend to be something that's that common in young adult books. So it was an entirely selfish choice. I basically looked up young adult thrillers and then looked at their ratings on Goodreads. And found the highest rated, most contemporary one
1: Ah, so this was a star stacking
0: exercise for you to <laughs> Not a star stacking one, it was an enjoyment seeking one yeah. It wasn't about the scores at the end uh, It was more about yeah, choosing a book that would be well received And would be enjoyable for me to read And the other thing I really wanted to choose is a one shot book Not something that is part of a wider series Something that we mm. can review in total
3: it's also adding diversity to Laurie's reading list, so well done.
1: Mm, true.
2: There was a shocking absence of dwarves and elves, I have to admit. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Maybe
1: it could have been improved by the addition of some fantasy folk.
0: The bracelet may have been enchanted. They didn't say it wasn't.
2: <laughs> Crickets. Ah, oh, I see a sequel cooking. <laughs> yeah,
1: let's let's not delve into fan fiction territory here.
2: Patrick. Was this the book for you? Did you love it? Did you hate it? What's the moderately beige phrase from before?
1: Perfectly adequate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would would say that this was a perfectly adequate book, (laughs) actually. Who's on that fence now, Patrick? (laughs) No, yeah, I'm actually not on the fence about this book. I think it was actually a really good book. Perfectly adequate doesn't necessarily cover the... The quality of this book, in my opinion, it was really good, but there were definitely some ups and downs with it. And I initially really struggled to get into it. And a big part of that was the reason that we've already touched on was the cast was so freaking large. It was ridiculous. I have no idea what Karen McManus was thinking when she she kicked this off with uh, a new character being introduced practically every other page. And that issue was really compounded by the fact that she also has point of view chapters split between Ellery, the protagonist, largely the protagonist and her brother Ezra. And so we're seeing this divergence between Ellery's story and Ezra's story and a a whole sort of supporting cast that's attached to each of those branching uh, threads of the plot. And, I just couldn't keep track. At a certain point, I just had to tell myself, well, if this person's important, surely they're going to pop up again somewhere down the track. Otherwise, I'm just going to let all of these names just wash over me. And I take it everybody else had that same complaint.
0: Definitely, yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, Laurie was on the right track there, putting together a character map in the early stages because while it all solidified and crystallized in the later parts of the book, probably from about a third of the way through, it was definitely a tough slog. To just get hit with character after character and the relationships between them weren't always clear mm. uh, even the lead characters we were just picking things up along the way which is fine but it's tough when you're being introduced to character after character
3: Yeah, I didn't find it quite so frustrating I have a tendency to speed read And to flick very quickly through pages of something And look, to be quite frank Often that's the books for seeking dumbness (laughs) But on this one I found that I had to actively slow myself down To think about how this is all kind of piecing together And Try to identify different parts of the characters. I quite liked that it wasn't just a a very simple story, that there were all of these little nuanced mini threads happening all over the place. Yeah. Anyway, as you were. So it didn't bother me quite so much.
1: Ultimately, for me, that led to a bit of a slog for the the first portion of the book, because I just had this internal voice telling me, if this keeps up, you're not going to have any idea what happens throughout the the book at all. It's going to be a complete write-off. But it it did even out over the course of the story, and once we got through that initial barrage of, of characters... And as you said, there are elements of Mean Girls here. There's that, that high school clique kind of thing going on. So we're getting acquainted with some of those. And there's some complicated family dynamics. And also a throwback to the mysteries of the past. Ellery and Ezra's mother and her connection to the town and who was her beau and who, who was, uh, you know, her sister, who was also murdered back in the day. Uh, th- there's a, a lot of ground to cover. And ultimately, I think McManus does it pretty well. She was ambitious in the scope of the cast but she started to really pull it together and you you do get a feel of this community it feels vibrant it doesn't feel like two characters and a bunch of cardboard cutouts that flesh out the rest of the town the characters largely had pretty distinct voices they felt they felt real they felt believable i thought there were a few elements that were maybe not so crash hot I felt particularly Declan, uh, the murder suspect uh, from one of the more recent murders, tended to to play that... The lone wolf. You know, the, the suspicious young man character to a, a real aggravating level where he's playing his cards so close to his vest and doing sus things and lashing out and being angry and not telling anybody what he's up to. And, and it really casts him as a major red herring. And you know it at the time as well. You can sort of see the hand of the author at work throwing the suspicions of the reader upon this guy. Uh, And I felt like if he he had acted with just a little bit more openness or or something, I don't know, that it it wouldn't have felt quite so artificial. Or even if she just like cracked the door a little bit on his innocence and, and given us a sense of that whilst keeping the rest of the cast in the dark, like allowing the reader into the author's confidence I felt like a little bit we were toyed with To some extent And I find that really frustrating in crime fic But it's something that is a really delicate balance
3: He wasn't quite as nuanced as some of the others
0: She tried to explain that with her With the estranged relationship he had with Malcolm His brother
3: Yeah, but she could have also done something like Made him seem more lovable in some way I didn't understand As you find out, he's have he's started a new relationship with Mia's older sister, Daisy. And it
1: explains all the sneaking around. Mm. Which
3: explains the sneaking around, yes, but...
0: Well, it explains why he's back in town. I think he'd sort of left the town behind because everyone had written him mm. off.
3: But what makes her like him? That bit's never really very clear. She's always liked him.
0: Exactly. They started going out before Lacey was killed. Mm. Well, they started seeing each other, not going
2: out. Which makes their whole relationship suspicious, which is why they're keeping it quiet, essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. I guess all of that stuff aside, I would have liked to have just been taken into the author's confidence a little bit more and and given a bit more of that information because I think it can still be compelling when you see this stuff playing out without feeling like you're being deliberately kept in the dark and and played with a little bit. Uh, But uh, besides that, I I thought the characters were really good. The other thing that, that maybe sort of irritated me just a little bit was the way that she handled race and, and social justice issues. And I feel like it was an incredibly diverse cast and, and really well done a lot of the time, but sometimes it just felt a little bit ham-fisted in the sort of, I don't know, like a didactic kind of nature of the the text and the way that she would talk about issues like race. Like, I can't say that to him because he's an Asian-American and he already has enough on his plate. And it just felt a bit like, oh, can you... Can you sort of show and not tell quite so much around these kinds of issues. I did feel a little bit like I was being beaten over the head with it a little. Other than that, it was a compelling read. I think all of those things aside, I wanted to know what happened next. I did feel like I was caught up in the story and I did read it pretty rapidly, not because I was speed reading, but because I just wanted to consume more of the book. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And perhaps the unmasking of the villain at the end felt a little bit disappointing as it always does. I think in client fiction, because you build them up to be this great boogeyman mastermind kind of thing. And then you ultimately get a ranting madman talking about why he's done the rubbish that he's done in a not particularly inspiring kind of way. But other than that, it was, it was an excellent read. It was quick. It was, it was compelling. I, I rated it totally. What do
0: you think, Keith? I almost entirely agree with you. I think you've summed it up very well. I was the same through the first parts of the book. It took me a while to get into it, but it was an exponential enjoyment of it and my pace of reading it and the way it engulfed me grew as the book went on until the end where it was a little bit of a letdown, but as you say, it tends to be the way in these sort of books. Once the mask comes off,
1: it's a little bit too real and not as mysterious as you want it to be.
2: Scooby-dooby-doo!
1: That really is an issue with the genre, though, isn't it? That there's always something so much more intimidating about mystery and not knowing than there is about, you know, the reality For sure. of someone who's out there killing people or whatever. They're always just a little bit disappointing. Yep.
0: I will also add that the length of the book and the amount of characters is incredible. (laughs) How many she got in there and how many red herrings there were. Not just the brother that Pat mentioned, but this Vance Puckett, who through the first part of the book was the obvious red herring, if you like. But there were several others as we went through, and you could look upon many with suspicion. And it was kind of played out in the mind of Ellery as well, who being infatuated as she is with true crime was... Turning everyone into the potential killer or potential murderer, uh, which I like that aspect
1: Ultimately she turned out to not be that great at true crime
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it shows you can't be suspicious of everyone She did uncover some key evidence, but she wasn't quite Agatha Christie level
3: Which I think was really good Because you don't expect a 17-year-old to have the maturity, I don't think necessarily To be able to solve all of these mysteries But she does have, what, an affinity or an understanding and she's trying really hard and she's having a crack and not sitting back and taking things. I quite (laughs) liked that. Yeah,
1: she certainly has a crack.
3: Mm. Which I felt made her believable as a teenage character as well. She doesn't want to sort of sit back and let this stuff happen around her. She's really passionate about it. And I think that's a really nice thing about being a teenager is that you can be kind of Self-righteous and know-it-all and it's only with the passage of a good 20 years that you look back and go, gosh, I was just like all of the other teenagers but in a really cool kind of -of coming-of-age fun way, which I really liked. She becomes more settled over time. You know, you you get this sense that at the start she and Ezra are very – They've had a very kind of broken childhood. Her mum, their parent has never been very present. She's always been a little bit scattered. This small town with this diverse cast of really interesting people who are quite supportive give her a home and give her a a sense of purpose and a place to be. And over time, she starts to settle and you, you sort of see that she's got hope for her future whereas at the beginning it's all kind of dark and murky and unclear this gives her a purpose so in amongst all of the other threads and trauma she comes out and has a really sort of positive experience at the end it's a really I don't know I identified with that I really liked that
0: yeah that's really well put Brie because it did kind of creep up on her that human side of things that while she was there trying to solve these murders and focused on that she found a home, in a way, and the character of Malcolm in particular, she endeared herself to and, and him to her. It was something that crept up on her adjacent to the story.
3: It was just a nice layering, I think, which is one of the strengths of the book, is the number of layers that all do come to a tie. and a They don't all get ended, but they all come to a nice point towards the end.
1: That character arc is really good, and I like her a lot, but there's something that maybe we haven't addressed as much as we could have. And that's the fact that the murder is specifically threatening people within the town. And he's singled out the sort of nominees for prom queen. Is that the right terminology? I think it's prom queen, something like that. Yeah, I think Homecoming so. queen, whatever it is. And Ellery is amongst that number. So she's being specifically threatened by the killer throughout a large portion of the book. And I just feel like none of them really <laughs> take that super seriously no. Did you guys get that impression It's like mm. people have been killed These aren't sort of idle threats As far as you're aware They're, This town has a pretty bloody history As far as young people being murdered mm. And then In various displays of Threatening imagery Etc with you know red paint Scrawled on the walls And that kind of stuff You know classic horror movie kinds of things Someone says hey, Ellery, I'm going to come kill you.
3: Yeah, but at some point you've got to suspend your disbelief a little bit and that's true of any novel that you read. It's true of any piece of fiction that you pick up. It's true of, what did we read last time? The the Wizard of, The Wizard, no, The Weird Stone. <laughs> <laughs> come on.
2: Patrick, don't, don't, stop it, Bree. Don't current <laughs> events highlight Pretty accurately That despite the looming threat Of a potentially lethal situation That lots of people kind of ignore
1: it And go mm. out and hit the beach anyway
3: mm.
1: Yeah, true Yeah, I guess uh, people people haven't really considered Their imminent demise at the hands of COVID To be a particularly great threat Oh,
3: COVID, uh, I was thinking of climate change You know, <laughs> potato, potato
0: <laughs> And remember as well It was one murder five years ago And then a disappearance 20 years prior to that, so it wasn't like there was an Mm. ongoing spree or anything of that nature. So I guess that can be an explanation for some of the reluctance to really bunker down in the town.
2: Mm. Can we talk about Red Herrings for a second?
0: Yeah.
1: Let's talk about Red Herrings.
2: When reading the book, I had convinced myself that Sadie was not in fact the children's mother because they make a big point of Sadie's twin sister uh, disappearing years ago, presumed dead. Yeah And how that had ruined Sadie's life And she was essentially abusing drugs and in rehab But had had pretty scattered life since the disappearance of her sister And they make a point at one point in the book That Sadie and her sister, whose name I've forgotten? Sarah Sarah, they could imitate each other's voices And had tricked people on numerous occasions And the way that gets used at the end is a bit cheap
3: Oh, it's
1: so, so cheap Well, not even cheap, just weak (laughs) Like it was weakly used, Yeah. yeah
2: That was a gift for
0: the reader, I think, from the author, to tie that story up.
1: It wasn't a gift, though. You saw it coming a million miles away, and then when it arrived, it was flaccid.
3: All right. It's been months. You're going to have to tell me what happened, because I can't remember this particular point.
1: Do we include this, or do we like bookend this just for Brie and then cut it out?
3: Oh,
2: we can do that. Sure. Yeah. If, if you're
1: listening along
0: and you haven't finished reading the book, maybe... Stop listening for 30 seconds
2: When Ellery asks the killer what happened to her mother's sister He leans in and whispers I thought it was your mother Like he obviously mistook her for her voice or her look or whatever
3: Ah, okay I totally missed it
2: So welcoming the readers back Because the sisters were so similar I had assumed that the sister had killed their mother And then slipped into the role
0: (laughs) That's the Christopher Pike version
1: (laughs) I I definitely had similar thoughts because there was a lot of foreshadowing around those points, around the sister, around the the level to which they were uh, interchangeable in their appearance because they they were so similar. Mm. And I guess you did potentially think it was a lead up to a big plot point. And even the way that the final lines of the book are delivered are almost... Delivered in a way that makes you feel like it should be a big plot point Mm. Or that it's meant to be a big plot point But it doesn't necessarily feel like one at that point The
3: guilt isn't bad though Like That makes sense from a Why would Sadie feel so bad? She felt guilty She felt some kind of mm, responsibility for her sister And for what occurred I mean, that makes sense to me From a why she then led her life the way she ended up leading her life
2: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Absolutely. I think her characterization is spot on. It's really believable. It's quite quite accurate. But I guess what you're anticipating is some more crime fiction-y twist or, or turn there or uh, an, an unveiling of something very surprising when, in fact, I, I think the story is a believable, relatively straightforward kind of story. Patrick, there's something
2: that, You didn't highlight in your comments that, as someone I think is a bit more sensitive to tacky shit, (laughs) I
1: expected you to bring up. Well, it has been a little while since I finished the book, so yeah, there is absolutely
2: no need to have portions of the book. What's the term? Placed at that ridiculous. Oh, like Murderland. Murderland, like. What do they call it later? They they rebrand it after someone's murdered there. Yeah. Fright Farm. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Fright Farm. Like, there's no need for it to be a horror, uh, what do they call it? Like, a haunted house kind of fair carnival thing. Like, there was no yeah. point to it. It could have been anything else, it could have been the local More. fruit markets or whatever. They didn't need to add that layer of creepiness. Creepiness.
0: Attempted creepiness,
1: yeah. yeah. It's sort of that uh, B movie scream, I know what you did last summer kind of vibe, isn't it's it? It's a
2: Scooby Doo episode.
0: <laughs> it's more a feature on like the back of the book and something that maybe appeals to people, but in the story itself, like you said, Laurie, it was just a nondescript location where things happen largely.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Perhaps it doesn't feature as strongly as it could, or isn't useful utilized to any particular end. But I thought it added a sense of place. At least it was a a relatively unique setting in some ways, and I thought it was a bit of a nod to those those. Uh, Crime fiction monoliths, like Scooby Doo, I guess <laughs> to some extent, it has that vibe. It's kind of a shorthand for the type of story that's unfolding here. And I guess when you're spending so much time developing this incredible list of characters, you you have to use a little bit of authorial shorthand for <laughs> some of your scene
0: setting. I thought maybe we'd see, you know, the stunning, creepy climax to the
1: story in the park.
2: Like on the roller coaster or something
1: yeah maybe that was part of the intention as well to subvert some of those expectations for for what is this kind of crime fiction what does a scooby-doo story look like as it unfolds and as you're unmasking the killer do we see Ellery Tied to a pole as a, uh, like a hammer is going to fall on her head or a roller coaster cart is going to run her over or something like that. And ultimately, it's nothing like that at all. So it could be, again, you know, a red herring by design in the scenery. Although I will say, on the note of tackiness, like there's nothing tackier than having a theme park called Murderland. Holy (laughs) crap. You're just begging to have someone murdered there and be shut down.
2: (laughs) The follow up name was. Like, and they make a point of this in the book that's nowhere near as catchy. It's just dreadful. Yeah. Fried farm.
0: <laughs> They're both pretty poor, to be honest. But they don't understand the whole creepy theme park kind of thing anyway, particularly in the town it's located in.
1: It does seem a little bit out of place in this relatively sleepy-sounding town. Who are all the people who are coming to this theme park?
3: Yeah, yeah well, who's going to Tiger Land in Tiger King World as well, and yet there's well, a whole... True,
1: very True. <laughs>
2: Meanwhile, there's also the Clown Museum that they go off to at some point. Gosh. Oh, that's right. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: that's just speaking to the character's quirkiness.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm.
3: Who are we up to?
0: You, I
2: think.
3: Oh. Oh. Who was talking? I think that? we've kind of covered a lot of the points I was making. So, okay. Laurie, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, if I don't read out some of the things that I've written, even though they're a vast repetition of what's already been said, I won't have much left to say, so I'm going to. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I also had real difficulty keeping track of the characters. I literally had to draw a character map and then start drawing the connections between them all. I like your
1: commitment to the text in doing that, though. I really
3: respect that. And your interest in <laughs> trying to figure out the mystery Before you find it out Yeah, it's good You were clearly hooked Yeah Testing theories with us Trying to figure it all out
2: I'm not a mystery connoisseur So maybe if you are You'd probably be a bit more adept at seeing things coming And picking up on the clues that are a bit more subtle Than the things that I I'd been led astray by that red herring I mentioned before So, yeah I I mean, I certainly didn't see the, the killer coming So I enjoyed that I was delighted by that uncovering. The actual things that happened after the uncovering, the dramatic events that followed shortly mm-hmm. thereafter were not that thrilling and they they sort of happened a little bit too quickly and
1: mm. and it, it felt a little bit like that scene from Austin Powers where the laser's going towards the crotch. Yeah, with them is that the mutated ill-tempered sea bass or is that the um, the sharks with <laughs> the lasers? Ladies.
0: Freaking laser beams!
1: Yeah, and and Doctor Evil's like, you know, I will put you in this easily escapable situation, <laughs> and and his son's like, just let me shoot them. Like, I'll just shoot them. We'll kill them right now. I mean, it was a plausible explanation that the killer gave. I mean, to some extent, but he he engaged in the the killer's monologue as is tradition mm. prior to that as well. And yeah, these are these are all tried and true staples of the genre really so if we're going to level criticisms like or should I say if I'm going to level criticisms like this at this book then I'm really criticizing the genre as a whole but sometimes you just wish that it would be subverted a little bit more meaningfully that there would those tropes might be taken in a different direction
3: Eh, it's a teenage book I really liked it I thought the layers were really good I I don't know
2: (laughs) I'm suddenly recalling, Patrick, what do you think of the absolutely abysmal kill count of this book as compared to something like a, a Charlie Parker novel?
1: Look, it's no Charlie Parker novel.
0: This town can't handle Charlie Parker. He comes to town and they're gone for the, the rest of eternity. The town can't recover.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I put up a piece on the website about how vaguely traumatised I felt by Charlie Parker uh, as a kid. So I I reckon probably... As far as YA literature goes, this is probably a better choice than John Connolly's seminal texts.
3: I thought the murder count was pretty high for a teen (laughs) YA book, seriously.
1: Yeah, few people kicked the bucket.
3: Mm.
2: Just back to the names, like I'm a socially anxious kind of person and have, like, I grew up on a farm as well, so (laughs) I, I have poorly developed name remembering skills, so my head. Was whirling with the multi generational
3: cast of thousands. You don't have mm. a problem with dozens of dwarves, and yet real life names really do <laughs> mess with you. Yeah, but when they're named
2: Keely, Philly, Oin, Oin, Dory, you know the rhyming nature of them
3: sort of helps. I suppose you're not trying to tell the dwarves um, apart. They're all basically playing the same kind of character.
1: Oh, Ooh. she did try to help you out with Ellery and Ezra. At least they're alliterative, Laurie.
2: Yeah, true, true It wasn't just the fact that there was a cast of thousands But it was that multi-generational cast of thousands There was the teens Mm. of now There were the teens of five years ago And then there was the teens of 20 years Mm. ago And there's been horrific events in each And you have to remember three layers of characters And that was pretty challenging It was
1: Lots of relatives too, so brothers and sisters and uncles and aunties and what's their connection to the events of today and yesteryear and yester-yesteryear.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, so how good was that layering? Pretty good. <laughs> Tough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel five stars coming from Breeze direction.
3: <laughs> Eventually, like
2: I think you said, Patrick and Keith, it settled down and the characters and the hidden connections that linked them became clearer. And I could genuinely just enjoy the ride And whether that's because some of them died or disappeared or or left the scene Or just sort of faded away and you got used to Once you understood how these characters were secretly linked Then it, it just became a bit more enjoyable The book itself is pretty good all round I look forward to the sexy 24-year-olds playing
1: 18-year-olds when it's adapted <laughs> for television It does feel like it could be adapted for television quite easily Hmm I wonder if the content would be, I don't know, it, it is quite murderous. I wonder if that would prevent and the type of rating that they might desire for a, a younger audience.
3: Just a season like 13 Reasons or something would probably <laughs> well, be worthwhile. I was about oh. to mention that. If they can turn <laughs>
0: 13 Reasons Why into four seasons, and I don't know if that's the end of it, but then this at least deserves a full season. It's at
3: least a six-part miniseries, right?
2: Yeah. In terms of the murders though, Patrick In the book they're all happening off stage They
1: are, that's true
3: Yeah,
2: so I think you could do a well shot Blue lights in the distance with tape Mm. And concerned citizens looking from a distance Maybe a
1: a Veronica Mars for the modern age
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, Veronica Mars is still for the modern age, mate They just released something last year Yeah, sorry about that (laughs) Don't go treading on the the, uh,
2: the Veronica Mars toes there (laughs) Oh, jeez
1: Hot button topic (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I back that movie, mate You're a marser, as they call you No,
0: marshmallows, mate
1: <laughs> So he's actually in marshmallows
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man So cool, man. so cool decades. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with the mystery solved The innocent exonerated And lives partially destroyed and redeemed Let's commit another murder by scoring with Pat.
1: <laughs> this has actually been a challenge. I tried to uh, continue with Karen McManus's sort of book naming scheme, which she's actually abandoned herself. Have you seen that there's a, another one out now? Her first book was One of Us is Lying and then Two Can Keep a Secret, I believe. <laughs> Go away, dumb dogs.
0: That's a funny, yeah, that is a big change. You're right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that a kid's book, that last one? <laughs> We're trying to do a podcast here together and you just start using hurtful names.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I've completely blanked on it now. Another one of us is going to be murdered by a masked man or something like that. So Three's a dead crowd. (laughs) Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is the scoring system. One horse town populated by lots of characters, but zero stars, one star, at two left feet. It was better than being murdered in a spooky fairground, but only just two stars three is a crowd as predicted by Laurie unless you're talking about stars in which case it's just a safe middle ground but that's not catchy uh four square behind which curiously I have never heard of before I had to google idioms that had four in them and four square behind was one of the ones that came up have you guys heard of four square behind
2: no I've heard of four square which is now uh deprecated
1: yeah, it's like it's throwing your support behind someone I stand four square behind Laurie in his unusual choices of fashion
2: now I stand four square behind you, Patrick but That's just because you whiff a little bit
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, four square behind sounded better than on all fours Which didn't strike me as a point of praise It was a <laughs> compelling mystery, it had a polished plot I stand four square behind it, four stars Or take five, Karen Five stars for a stunning book and five minutes to make yourself tea and grab a biscuit for a job well done. Laurie?
2: Uh, I mean, I was challenged in the early game, but I had a satisfactory ending and I was relatively pleased with the ending, so I'm going to give it a four, four stars.
0: Keith? Yeah, I'm four square behind it, whatever that saying was as well. I could have gone a little bit higher if I got into it a bit earlier and maybe if the ending was
3: That's a little four bit Blake. more satisfactory.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a four for me. Three?
3: This one for me is a fiver. Whatever it was, oh, take I saw five. It coming. Absolutely, I it. this
1: is why I'm the crime fiction buff. I can pick it <laughs> coming a mile away.
3: No, it's the layers. It's rather like a delicious sponge cake when you're talking about taking a cup of tea. Taking five, absolutely loved it. Or like an ogre. <laughs> I was trying to think of something all day that was not like layers of an onion.
1: Well, you've done well. Like a tir- no, not a tier. Well, a tiramisu has layers as well. Mm-hmm. A trifle.
3: A trifle or a. Lemon curd crepe cake Beautiful mm.
1: I think it has layers too I think it's like a trifle But I'm four square behind it I It did niggle at me at times I took a little while to get into it But overall, really compelling book Really good book Four stars
2: Excellent Patrick, I figured out the reason that she's abandoned the naming convention for her books
1: Because it's her sequel? No,
2: because Janet Ivanovich has pulled out the lawyers
1: Oh, has she really?
2: No <laughs> What? <laughs>
1: You had me excited for a second. I thought there was going to be courtroom drama as well as crime.
2: <laughs> I don't know what those books are about. I assume they're mysteries, aren't they? My parents love the Janet Ivanovich books and they, they have a one, two, three, four, five kind of naming yeah. standard to them. Oh, uh, Okay.
1: Anyway.
3: Good choice, Keith. Yeah,
1: excellent choice, Keith. Thank you. Well done, Keith. Well done, Good
2: reads. Much more generally appreciated than Master of Murder. <laughs> yeah. Next episode, Pat takes charge with a classic. A legend, an institution. Oh, God. We'll be asking.
3: Please.
2: We'll be asking our cherished listeners. What's in their filthy little pockets as
1: Gollum?
3: You've just heard the best bit of the entire book.
1: Free. Feel free to, to join in if you like. Far over the misty mountains <laughs> cold, <laughs> through dungeons deep and caverns old. I didn't hear you.
2: <laughs> can you record that fully for the next episode? We can tack it on the end. Try. Just so those that appreciate those lovely tones of yours can uh, listen and enjoy in their own quiet personal time.
1: <laughs> it's The Hobbit <laughs> by J.R.R. Tolkien.
2: Until then, enjoy the large break in social interaction, curl up with a book, and keep reading.
3: I'm still seeking this <laughs> <laughs> that's got a good cut over <laughs> Cut out <laughs> oh.
0: I can finally return this library book now that's well, well, well overdue. (laughs)